Well, we, in 2022, we started in Ecclesiastes, spent, what, eight weeks in it, and we've jumped to James, and we're there now. If you were to have coffee with James, and you were to say, the brother of Jesus, that is, if you were to say to James, hey, I, I believe, James would start with that. He would commend you for it, but he would say, if you're saying, I believe, that's just the beginning. And the faith, if it's a genuine faith, it's going to bump up against the real world. Do, do any of you know that? If you, if you possess a faith and you believe in a God that's not visible or audible or tangible, and you're telling others, hey, it is real and I believe and it is good news, that faith will be tested and it will bump up against this world. And that's why the first sermon that we delivered was, uh, was, was we talked about this very idea of pass the test. James says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith will produce endurance. Let endurance have its work so that you will be perfect and complete. Your circumstances won't be perfect. Uh, everything around you won't uh, turn uh, peachy king, but you will one day be perfect. And he's working. He's working in you. Uh, I remember several years back, I began to, uh, it, it kind of surprised me, I began to cheer for a certain sports team. I won't tell you who they are, lest I taint the illustration. But I was just cheering for this, a certain sports team, and I thought, man, they got a coach. He knows what's up. They got some talent. They assembled some more talent. And I was like, these guys, like, this is going to be, this is excellent. Nobody can beat them. And this is going to be sustained excellence. We're looking at a dynasty in the making. I remember a commentator, provocative, showboating commentator, doing what they do on television. He said, hey, this team, though, we'll see what they're like when they hit adversity. I remember thinking, what a Debbie Downer. Like, they're just, nobody can beat them. And you're like, when they beat adversity, you know. And lo and behold, something hit them, the team. And guess what? They kept winning every game. But then some more adversity hit them. And some more. And James is right. Um, adversity tells us who we are. And faith is only real to the extent that it bumps up against life. And so we have said, uh, pass the test. And then secondly, we said, do the word. Um, the business I'm in is, is sermons. And I think, you know, the, the goal of a sermon is not, did I like it? Now, you know, if I'm given the choice and you leave here, I hope some of you uh, would say, I liked it. I'm kind of hoping that that would be the case. But that's not the ultimate end is for you to say, I like it. It's for you to say, I listen. And that even beyond that, I listen and I did something, hopefully the right thing, about what I heard. Because James would say, if you were having coffee, you need to pass the test. And the real you is going to be displayed when there's adversity. But you also need to do the word because it's not what you know. It's, it's what you do. Many years ago when we lived out west, we rented uh, in a real nice area. But it was, we rented a condominium and the property the developer uh, put up a, a new fence around it. And he put these new fence railings around uh, each driveway. And it was quite narrow. And I remember I was young in marriage. Uh, fellows learned from me the how not to's. And I remember kind of, uh, you know, I've grown uh, now since, but I kind of condescended my wife a couple of times. I'm like, you know, I know what you're going to do. You're going to be, you know, backing out of here. You're going to be blaring your music, not paying attention. And you're going to hit one of these fence posts. You know, I just know you're, you're going to do that. I remember we had friends uh, visiting uh, us. And the first day they got there, they were pulling out in their rental to go see the city, and I'm, I, I said out loud, I said, you know, I know what they're going to do. They're going to be, you know, backing out, blaring the music, not paying attention. They're going to hit a fence post. And y'all, guess what? The very next day, someone hit the fence post. Any guesses who hit the fence post? All right, y'all right, don't have to point. Okay, you kind of saw where this, everybody, everybody kind of saw where this one was going pretty early, right? But look, I knew, 
I just didn't do. Like I, I knew to be careful, to not multitask, to have both hands on the wheel, to look back. I knew that it was, I knew, but I didn't do. Everybody, if you learned to drive, you went to the DMV, and before you went to the DMV, you had a book, and you probably studied that book, and I know some of you didn't study that book because you got cocky, and you, you, know, you, you thought, I, I got this, and you didn't pass, but you got to study that book, but let's say you pass the test, and you're a driver, but you get pulled over, and you tell that police officer, you say, I knew the book, I agreed with the book, I studied the book. I felt in my heart like I was driving 55. That's going to do little good in all likelihood with that police officer. Because it's not what you know, it's what you do. Pass the test and do the word. It's not just a sermon that you listen or that you like, but it's a sermon you listen to and that you act on. Bill Maher is a comedian, uh, a provocative guy who is a cultural critic, and I think he makes everybody mad. And Bill Maher said this recently. He said that most Christians look at the Bible like a software license agreement. They look at it, and they've never really read it. They just scroll down to the bottom and click, I agree. What I want to say to you is don't be that. The invitation when we gather on Sundays in rows or during the week in circles and groups, it's to read this. And I, I have a friend who's exploring Christianity. And I feel like, he, I know he's listening today, but I feel like he's moved from a strident skeptic to, to just like an open cynic. And I have recommended, he took me up on this a few weeks ago, to read the book of James. And he said, R.G., I agree with you. I'm not ready for your religion, per se, but I agree with you in that James, this letter with five chapters written over 2,000 years ago, man, it speaks today. And whether you're talking about one of the world's nuclear powers invading a sovereign nation, or you're talking about a contentious Supreme Court nomination, or you're talking about the rise and fall of different church leaders, or economic disparity, or prices at the pump, or whatever that we're talking about, whatever's going on in the world, I'm telling you, in these five chapters, there's just stuff in there for just, it just seems like everything. Take last week, what did we talk about? We went from, from uh, you know, pass the test to do the word to what? Tame the tongue. But just think about this. Think about your life. Think about the conflicts you've had or if you're embroiled in one now. Think about if you just applied James 1.19, if you were quick to listen and slow to speak. Oh, the pain that we could avoid. Oh, the peace that we could promote if we could just live that one passage out. So today, we're asking you to check the ego. James 4.6. Let's put it up. If your Bible is open in your lap, you can look there. But he, that's God, he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That second sentence, the first part of the second sentence, when it says God opposes the proud, it's not saying that he's neutral. He opposes the proud. I don't know what kind of opposition you have or what kind of what you fear or who you don't want to go up against, but it's just if can I drop a little fear of God today? You don't want God to be opposing you. And I love the gives grace, gives grace, gives more grace. But God is not neutral of what he thinks about arrogance. You know, we live in a culture that promotes pride. Um, this movie here is a Connor for real in the movie Pop Star. 
he sang this on The Voice. My wife and I were at home one night watching Connor for real, a white guy, uh, trying to impersonate an R&B singer. And he sang this, and I went around the house. This is the lyrics I picked out. I was singing this around the house. Bar none, I am the most humblest. Number one atop the humble list. My apple crumble is the crumblest. But I say it tastes bad out of humbleness. Think about me that's, the thing about me that's so impressive is how infrequently I mention all my humbleness. Well, you could look at that and go, that ain't it. I don't struggle like that. And this is rich in irony in that he sang this song in the movie, a pop star. He sang it in front of thousands of screaming, adoring fans as he sang about his humbleness. So you don't gloat or showboat this way. You may not flaunt it like a peacock and say, look at my humbleness and talk about your apple crumbleness. But uh, we have pride within us. We, we all have pride within us. So what do we do and where do we turn? James tells us um, that pride can get the best of us. It's something that we maybe we don't see in ourselves, but we quickly identify in the Connor for reals around us, the pop stars that are flaunting it. We say, oh, look at the pride. Look at the way they're calling attention to themselves. But James asks us in this fourth chapter to check our ego. And for good reason, God is opposed to it. Um, had good conversations after the first service, before this one, with some people and just about something that I share. But for the last several months, I've noticed a very pronounced, a very appreciable difference in our culture. And we talked a little bit about it last week, you know, the fighting and all that. But uh, there has been a, an erosion of trust. There's been a, what one writer calls a credibility crisis. Two of the most recent books I've read were this book uh, entitled, When Narcissism Comes to Church. And in this book, a very uh, profound writer, Chuck DeGroat, talks about how organizations can be led, churches in particular, by uh, people that can be charming and talented and at times inspirational. But they lack self-awareness and self-inventory. And before you know it, slowly and imperceptibly and unwittingly, there's this culture that manipulates, um, that erodes trust, that coerces, that deceives, that abuses. And then behind that, in the trail, you would think of the opposite, but there's this lack of empathy. Whether it's Mars Hill or Willow Creek or Christianity Today or Ravi Zacharias Ministries, on and on and on, one after the other. And you can feel it. Like, this is like my job as a pastor, but I feel it. If anybody leads in an organization, there's this erosion of trust. And it's why I appreciate Glenn Packiam, a Colorado pastor, a guy that I admire and have had an opportunity to meet before. This is the book I'm reading now, The Resilient Pastor. I want to pass the test. I want to do the word. But I know I've got to tame the tongue and check the ego and ask the Father. I know to be a resilient pastor, I need to learn. And here's what he says. He says that this crisis of credibility, that it's brought on. Don't, don't, don't blame other people. Don't bring the left or bring, blame the right. Uh, look in the mirror and look. This crisis of credibility is brought on in large part by an abuse of power. Can we just say it? It's just been brought on by an abuse of power. And he talks about how the answer to it is humility. The answer to it is to understand what is, to, to, to be a good steward of the power that you've been given. Anyone in leadership, anyone aspires to leadership, particularly in the church, I would say, this is so important. 
There's this stewardship of power to understand, he, he writes in the Resilient Pastor, to understand the purpose of the power you've been given and the limits of the authority that you have and to lead accordingly with proper humility. A podcast that I listened to recently in the wake of these scandals was this very thing of what do we do? And one thinker said this. He said, we need to rediscover the beauty of humility. And he's right. And James would say, check the ego. Check it. Because to follow Christ is to unfollow arrogance. Jesus said, blessed are the meek. And Jesus washed feet. And it's a far cry from trying to walk around being charming and intelligent and inspiring when we're hurting people and we lose sight. And so that stewardship of power, why, why has power, the church has gotten it wrong every single time across the globe, spanning history, every time power has become the thing. But every time you possess power and the leader has power, a leader has clout, but use that power. Divest yourself of it. And like Jesus, to think of those on the fringes and on the margins and those who need it. It's not something that we hold on to. It's something we give away. It's something where we look out for others. Here's what pride will do. Let me tell you this. I, said, I mentioned this earlier. And it's like this if you'll show Luke Skywalker going into the cave with Darth Vader. He was looking and searching for his chief nemesis. And who did he find? His face. He found himself. And when we're talking about the ego, we're talking about people that are proud. It would be so easy for you today to talk about the flamboyant one. To talk about the athlete or the celebrity or the rock star or the rap artist or the pa celebrity pastor of the megachurch. It would be easy for you to point your finger there. Or, but what about you? When you go into the dark cave and look, the enemy is you. Pride can sneak up on us. Here's what pride will do. Pride lessens, we'll put this up, pride lessens your ability to say what needs to be said, to hear what needs to be heard, and to give what needs to be given. In James, we'll leave that up for a second. Some of you get that now. This is what pride will do. And it sneaks up on you. But it lessens your ability to say what needs to be said. What kind of regrets do you have in that area? To hear what you need to hear. Are you defensive? Are you teachable? And then to give what needs to be given. Are you a generous person? In James 3.10, we looked at this last week, but repetition aids learning. Here's what he said. He points to hypocrisy. He points to heart and tongue. And when they contradict, he said, from the same mouth that you and I, brothers and sisters, come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Their power in our words. And it has been shown, and you know that it's true experientially, the, a, a simple, sincere compliment. It can help someone recognize the gift or the potential that was in, that's in them. It can motivate them to keep on keeping on. It can challenge them to try a new thing. The power of the right word. The Proverbs would say it this way. The James of the Old Testament. Like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word aptly spoken. The right words of the right person from the right person with the right turn 
with the right tone can be magical. It can turn a life around. And some of you know that. I can look back at my uh, days and see when people spoke into me very critical points who imparted courage to me when I needed encouraging and did that for me. James 3, it not, it not ought to be this way. It's pride limiting you and your ability to say what needs to be said. What needs to be said in your life? To who? Who needs to hear it? The second thing we mention is hearing. Pride will limit your ability to hear what you need to hear. James talks about two different kinds of wisdom. One kind of wisdom, look at me, one kind of wisdom, he says, earthly wisdom. Earthly wisdom and we're all debating who is wise. Now, we're all, remember when they would say experts say, and we're all like, who are the experts? But earthly wisdom, earthly wisdom, he says, strong language. He says it's demonic. And he says where there's bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, it leads to every evil thing. It leads to confusion, and every evil thing comes after that. And if you've ever been in a thorny environment, if you've ever been somewhere where the air is thick with tension, where people are clawing on each other like tarantulas in a jar, just climbing on each other, vying for supremacy, jockeying for position, trying to be the great one. If you've ever been involved in a family or church or community like that, where there's bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, you know that there is confusion. You know that there's disorder and every evil thing is about to come your way because of that earthly wisdom but he says look at James three seventeen. he says there's a wisdom that's from above God give it to us God give it to your people at Fond Church there is a wisdom that's from above and notice he says it's pure and peaceable and it's gentle and here's what I, it's full of mercy and good fruits impartial and sincere he just spoken in the second chapter about impartiality when someone comes into your church if they're dressed in purple and fine linens purple was like the it color back then it showed that you were wealthy and people wore purple like we would wear chains or bling or something today and he says you know you don't give them the chief sheets chief seats did i cuss chief seats and show them the place of honor uh and then when someone comes in ragged and in dirty clothes you don't tell them to stand in the back that's what james had just said in the second chapter He says, you don't show partiality and wisdom doesn't do this. What I didn't read, I skipped over it because I want to emphasize it. He says, it's open to reason. Pride lessens our ability to say what needs to be said, to hear what needs to be heard, and to give what needs to be given. Do you hear what you need to hear? Are you borrowing from James? Are you open to reason? My wife sat on the front row the first service. We've been married for over 25 years. And she will tell you that this is a great growth area in my life. Which translated means I was really weak when I was young. I know it. I don't have to listen. I don't know. I know the way. I'm going to go into this meeting and I'm going to tell them what to do. And I know, though, they're going to think this. But this is the way. And this is the verse. And this is the path. And this is the, and, and, but to be open to reason. And the older I've gotten, the more I realize I'm a better man, a better husband, father, pastor, a leader worth following if I'm open to reason. Where I can sit down and I can apply James 1, 19. I can be quick to listen and slow to speak and therefore many times slower to anger because I'm open to reason because you have something to teach me and everybody has something to teach us if we'll listen are you open to reason look at me for a second check your ego today check your ego because you may be wrong 
And maybe you're not entirely wrong, but maybe you're partially wrong, or God wants to give you another perspective. Be open to reason. Bring that gentleness, that purity, that peacefulness, and that is the promise. That's what it's going to lead to. It won't lead to, if there's not bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, can we squash that? Can we squash that and say there's no place to let ego run amok here? Let's walk in humility. Let's rediscover the Christ-likeness of what it means to be meek and what it means to, to wash feet. The third thing that I'm submitting to you from James is pride lessens our ability to say what needs to be said, to hear what needs to be heard, and to give what needs to be given. When I was a younger man in ministry, I always got nervous talking about money. I would shake in my boots. My palms were sweaty. I would throw up mom's spaghetti or something, whatever. But I would just, I mean, I would just like, uh, I wouldn't, you know, it was just, it was a point of timidity for me because I was afraid that people would leave or misunderstand or thought or think I was, uh, to borrow the words from King James in the Bible, that I was fond of sordid gain. But the older I've gotten, the more I've appreciated the reality of what Jesus and then later his brother James would talk about is that your pocketbook is a place and it can lead your heart. And Jesus never says don't treasure. He just says don't treasure things where moth will eat and rust will claim and where thieves will break through and steal but store up for yourselves and what's the answer to that generosity here's what James would say in the second chapter I believe verse 16 he says this and one of you says to them this is to the one who came and who who was in need go in peace be warmed and be filled how pertinent is this today I'll tell you how pertinent it is today the first service I looked over and saw a senator and I looked over and saw someone who didn't have anything and needed gas and money for food. And it happens all the time. And it's where we live and we need to be wise and we need to be loving and we need to check our ego and make sure we're not saying, God, this is my wallet and this is my bank account and this is my church building with its steeple and its stained glass and we're too pretty and peaceful and pristine to divest ourselves and give ourselves and to love the hurting. He says this, don't say to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? In James's time, that was a saying. We have sayings, you have sayings. You're, you have a tribe of friends, close friends. Part of what makes you close is the sayings that you have. And a saying back then in the early church was be warmed and be filled. But he's saying, don't just say that. Like, do something about it. Do something about it. I want to give you three things to help you check the ego for us to take humility and adopt it as a more serious, ongoing virtue in our lives and in our church. The first is this. Uh, ask, or, oh yeah, let me, I'm going to skip the slide. Let me say this about arrogance says, arrogance says, wait. Um, but Jesus says, initiate. And look what it says in the seventh verse of the fourth chapter any bibles open here it is so whomever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him it is sin can i ask you there's several bullet points here but what's the next thing you need to do what's the next thing for you is it hard for you to do any of the following things any of you like fonzie and happy days anybody old enough to remember the reference fonzie would say he would try to apologize he would say i was i was he couldn't even get the words out and while that's a lovable character from a very dated television sitcom, it can be true for us. It's just difficult for some of us, many of us, to say this. Is it hard for you to apologize? 
Is it hard for you to acknowledge that you're wrong? Is it hard for you to ask for help? There's billions of people around the planet that have trouble, uh, experts say, asking for help. They're called men. Is it hard for you to celebrate other successes? In Romans 12, it says, weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. And you know, if you're in a small group and you're sharing life with people, you'll do that sometimes in the same sitting. The same setting, you will do the very, that very thing. You will weep with somebody who's weeping and you'll rejoice with somebody who's rejoicing. Is that hard for you to celebrate another person? Because you'll know that bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, James 3, has got you. You'll know that there's pride in your life if you're having trouble doing any of these. To admit that you don't know something, to listen without offering advice, to not have the final word. Uh, years ago, there was a conservative talk show host who would call his program the No Spin Zone. And he would always tell his guests, many of whom he was contentious with, he would debate um, ideas and he would uh, say to them, I'll give you the final word. And what was so funny to me is I would watch the show sometimes just for the end because he would say, I'll give, you the, I'll give you the final word. And he always threw something in uh, to undercut them. And we can be that way. I'll give you the final word. Sometimes I do that. Hey, I'll give you the final word, but then we've got something to say. But can you give somebody else the final word? To own up to a mistake. To say, hey, this, I'm not going to excuse it. Talked about this last week with our tongue. Not going to excuse it. Not going to explain it away. Just going to own the fires that I have made with my tongue. And there's healing on the other side of that to the extent that we do that. So the second thing, uh, no, here's the three things. Ask God to come into it. Here, okay, three things to help you. Bring God into it. James chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. Uh, this will frame these two points as we begin to round toward home. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. As I studied this this week, the word murder, uh, here's where I landed, that the word murder, he's meaning like murder. He's talking about people that are coveting, and they're not just coveting, they're killing. And I'm sure there was some metaphor underneath that, because you can like murder somebody with your looks. You can murder by turning away from them and saying, you're dead to me. But there's the murder that says, you're dead. And that there was some of that going on. And that, that word, the Greek word for passion there in James 4 is a word where we, get, it's where we get our word hedonism. A hedonist, similar to a narcissist, is one who's thinking of themselves and bringing, uh, minimizing pain and bringing pleasure. They don't want to hear a verse that says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. They just want the good stuff. They want the prosperity gospel and the peaceful things. And James is saying, hey, ask. You covenant and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Ask God. Let me say this. A lot of us are frustrated and disappointed because we're asking other people. We're asking from other people what we need to ask from God. Invite him into your life. Invite him in to the promise that awaits you. Invite him into the pain that you're hoping to get through. The second thing besides bring God into it is learn to say enough. James would go on to say, and he would talk about these desires. You, ha you don't have because you don't ask, and you ask and don't receive because you want to consume upon your own lust. You want and you want and you want and you desire. And Jesus is never against desire. He's against misplaced desire. He's against distorted desires. He's against untamed desires. He's against the hedonism that is in everybody's heart. You don't have to go to Vegas and throw your life away into wanton pleasure and partying and tell everybody what happened there stays there. You don't have to do that over the weekend to be a hedonist. You can be right here under church pew and be raging within of your desires and so when is it ever time to say 
it is enough. There's an old parable as Lauren and the team began to come up um, as we began to, to close. There's an old preacher parable about an American investment banker. And he went, he was in the, this Mexican uh, small village at, at the coast. And he was observing a small Mexican man who was fishing a small boat. He caught a lot of fish. And he made the observation there at the dock. He said, hey, uh, that's a good catch. That's a good um, good." good group of tuna that you brought in but you ever thought about fishing longer you ever thought about going out there and fishing for more and the man said hey I fished just enough this is enough fish to provide for my family and it's just enough and he said you know you could go out there and you could catch more fish and you know you could get you can make enough money you can get a bigger boat and you could add to that you could have this like expanding enterprise where you could get a fleet of boats in fact let me let me give you some advice because I went to Harvard the American investment banker said and you can you can uh you know, you can do all these things. Listen, and by the way, what, what do you do most of the day? If you, if you cut it short, if you just have one boat and just catch a few fish just for your family, he says, well, I sleep in, I fish, I play with my children. I, I take a siesta with my wife. And then in the evenings, I stroll into town and drink some wine with my amigos and play the guitar. He says, oh, let me tell you, you could cut out, you could, with this fleet, with this expanding enterprise, now you'd have to travel some, you'd have to get bigger boats and more boats, and you could cut out the middleman, you'd be in charge of, of the product, of processing, of distribution, of marketing, man, you could take this to another level, and the Mexican fisherman says, well, then what? He says, well, oh, then, and, you, know, you, you know, you have to do that for like 20 years, but then one day you could have that IPO, and you could sell that stock, and you could make millions, and the Mexican fisherman said to the American investment banker, he said, and then what? He goes, oh, well, then you could retire to some small coastal village you could you could sleep in and then you could fish and then you could play with your children you could take a siesta with your wife and then you could stroll into town and drink wine and play the guitar with your amigos when is it ever enough when can you say my house is enough what I drive is enough I've got this food and this clothing and it is enough would you stand with me and let me drop one last thing on you when it talks about uh, it talks about this look live like a mist in James 4 it says don't boast don't boast about tomorrow because you're not guaranteed tomorrow don't say we're gonna go do this and do that and James is not against planning he's against saying that tomorrow is guaranteed because the Bible teaches us that tomorrow is not guaranteed. What well, preacher, what's guaranteed? What does the Bible say, say is guaranteed? This moment. And pride, arrogance, hesitates. And Jesus says, initiate. What good needs to come from you? What words need to be said? What do you need to hear? In what ways can you become a giver? Because life is a mist. Invite God into your life. Learn to say, enough and live like a mist because your life is one. Let me pray for us. Father, thanks for this morning. Thank you for our brother and sister in, their, in Christ and their children and their past in Ukraine and their future and for Yuri's people and his family there and for their church there. Lord, we want to be mindful of the good that we have but also the world that we live in. And God, I would pray that we would not be like the many who've been talked about, that treat your word like a software licensing agreement. We never really read it, we just scroll to the bottom and click 
I agree. Help us to learn from you. And whether we like it or not, that we would listen and want to act on it. We need people in this world who can pass the test, who can do the word, who can tame the tongue and check the ego, and who can ask you, can bring you into it all. Lord, our lives are but a mist. Lord, help us. Help us to be people of generosity, to learn to give. Bless these tithes and offerings. In Jesus, we pray. Amen. Stay tight as we sing, as the uh, plates are passed. And after this song, Daniel Wagner is going to hop up, uh, our executive pastor of ministries, who's been promoted. And because we promoted him, we've been able to hire somebody. And it's real, we're really excited about the introduction we're about to make. Let's sing and let's worship.